Good evening and welcome to the Viva Cost podcast. My name's Graham Spence and tonight I'm joined by Alison Graham. Hello, Alison. Hi, Graham. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. We have had what a week in Scottish politics. It has been incredible. So I guess we're going to um, dive right into it. We've had um, a lot of interesting things and some news is that me and you are going to be talking at a rally. Do you want to give us some more details? Yeah, so there's the All Under One Banner uh, rally, March and rally in Glasgow on the 6th of May, which I believe there's something going on in London that day as well, something um, with the kind of old British establishment. Um, so <laughs> people in Glasgow um, who probably are off, you know, over that weekend, bank holiday weekend, um, yeah, why not? Hopefully the weather will be nice and come down to Kelm Grove, 1130 those who can to march down and those who can't if you want to come along to the, the the Glasgow Green. So yeah, we're speaking there. There's a host of speakers um which we could you know go through later if you want. But I mean if you're interested all under one banner um I've got all the details of the of the Glasgow March. I've been to a few of the Glasgow ones before COVID and they were very, very well attended in great atmospheres and actually the weather was quite nice. And I, think I think we should just jump in and cover it now. I mean, me and you, we're up, we're up first. Well, we're on the well, billing first. It's alphabetical because my name comes first. I think if yours been on it, we're halfway down the table. So, um, so I think it is. I don't know how, what the running order is going to be, but I was thinking we should probably be quite close to the front of the march just to get there in case we are up early. I've done, I'll, I'll just I've done one of them before. Yeah, Bannockburn, and I was like totally. I was walking with Kenny McCaskill, and I was thinking. We're both speaking, we should really speed up. He's got much longer legs than me, so it's quite a lot of walking for me to kind of keep up with him. Um, yeah, we're joined. Do, yeah. Shall I go through the controversial cast of characters that we're being cast with? If, if you're not um, having controversy, you're not you're not making waves, and that's, yeah, that's no, good. It's not, it's not worth it, is it? So yeah. you've obviously got you and I, and then you've got Anne Mullen from NHS for Yes. You've got yeah. Ash Regan, who was the leadership contender in the recent leadership election. Yeah. You've got um, Craig Murray. You've got Colette Walker, who's the leader of the Independence for Scotland party. You've got Dave Henry of SSRG. You have Hector McLeod from Alba. He's a he is also a writer for the Vivacos um, blog. Yeah. Jim Cassidy for Trade Unions for Ind- Trade Unionists for Independence. You've got Joanna Cherry, who is a very prominent KCMP from Westminster and destroyer of the UK government legislation. Um, we've yes. got Kate Forbes, who was another leadership contender. In the SNP leadership race, we've got Mohammed Asif from Afghan Human Rights Foundation. Ooh. We've got Robin McAlpine from the Common Wheel, who also spoke at Vivacos IndieX event. Okay. We've got Sarah Salyers from Salvo, Sean Davis, and we have Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh from the Alba Party. Oh, and we have Tony Cox from SUWN. That's right. At minimum. Yeah, that's that's the speaker so far. They were just updated, I think. Um, so yeah, that kind of leads us on to the first kind of talking point is um, during the campaign, which is, you know, those following Viva Cost will know from the Ash Regan campaign diaries, um, we were involved in and all the candidates were invited to attend the march and speak at the rally during the campaign and Ash and Kate and Hamza all said that they would and obviously the result of that election was Hamza Yusuf was elected for, um, the leader of the SNP and subsequently the First Minister of Scotland, and now he's been invited, um, as kind of predicted, to the, the coronation of King Charles III, and he is now apparently going to that. So he was in the original yeah, lineup, 
But he said something weird about he would try and do both, which I thought, it's a bit difficult to be in Glasgow and in London at the same time. And I'm imagining the coronation, you'd have to be there pretty early to go through security and stuff. Well, so, yeah. I remember this. I remember this happening, and we're not up to that yet on the campaign diaries, of which, yeah. by the way, I'm just reminding viewers and listeners that Graham Spence has been on time that. with him. Graham Spence has been on time with every blog he's written. Alison Graham's late. Not but anyway, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Um, Hamza Yousaf, he actually, his team wrote back to the National yeah. and said that he would be the keynote speaker and he would absolutely be at the AOUB rally and he was going to lead it and he was going to lead the march. He was going to lead the speeches. He was going to, you know, the first, activist. The, first, the first activist. That was it. Hashtag first activist. So he, he, he announced this, and in quite amusingly, if you were on social media at the time, AOUB actually then said, well, he's not actually responding to us, but he's told the National he's coming. He's not actually spoke to us. So he was out there getting all the press for this, and now Hamza Yousaf, after, first of all, stealing the press, then telling AOUB, actually, I will be there as the first activist, and I'll be the first speaker, and blah, blah, blah. He's actually in a situation where he's like, I didn't say I was going, I'm, I'm First Minister for everyone, I must be in London, I need to be... I mean, oh. the odd thing is, you can be First Minister for everyone, but the King actually isn't your constituent. That's very true. That's interesting from our point of view on the campaign, because is that a downside of having such a big team that they don't speak to each other? I mean, they said they had a big team, but we never seen any evidence of this. I think what happened, I think that the, the, the misinformation we have here, the disinformation, is Hamza Yousaf's team included a lot of the groups that were writing to the campaign. So yeah, there were certain SNP pressure groups that I think, certainly for Ash Regan and Kate Forbes, they got a bunch of questions that were very difficult for the two of them to answer and be consistent with their core, core message. But at the same time, I think they came an answer sheet for Hamza Yousaf. Well, he actually, he was, for some of them, he actually got invited to Zoom calls to talk about them, which we didn't get. I remember invited. Hamza Yousaf, for one particular example, managed to answer the questions before we had even received them. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was very interesting, and we will kind of try and weave as much detail in as we can, as we can remember from our notes and yeah. our recollection at the time. Um, yeah, so it's good. It's but what, what, what's the thing? Sometimes... Isn't it, on a campaign, to actually write it down? Hamza Yousaf actually had the ability in some of these situations to answer the questions before Ash Regan or Kate Forbes had received the questions. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. Hmm. So I was just wondering whether, because we did hear a lot from the press, that they were really inundated to the point of distraction with the campaign, that they were getting so many press releases in, but it wasn't really telling them anything. So I think um, we created a bit of a scarcity with Ash, as we've explained, kind of early doors mm -hmm. in the campaign the first week, which we just kind of got to the end of to the first weekend, um, and explained how, you know, we were trying to kind of warm up, you know, take stock, be considered, get the messaging right, have a good conversation, get you know on point on where Ash was on policy and, and kind of try and shape that up before we release that to the press on the, the press launch day on the Friday. Um, whereas I think it was very scattergun, certainly from Hamza's mm -hmm. point of view. So it could very well be that somebody, you know, very enthusiastically in his team went to the press to to respond and didn't actually remember to contact the organisers of the march. Um, mm -hmm. And they were then hearing it through the press. And maybe, maybe to be fair, Hamza maybe himself didn't even know. Who knows? No, there is, there is that. I'm sure. 
I'm sure there were some operating guidelines they had, but maybe not an operating um, agreement. One of one of the one of the interesting things I find with that campaign, and it's not just that some of the questions were answered, but one of the things that I still haven't seen is we got asked, and you, you know, you answered for Ash and a lot of these things. You you done the sort of she'd she'd tee up the general idea, and you would flesh it out into the. Um, then, you flesh out the full answer yeah, and a lot of these were you know were 25-30 question sequences <laughs> on very difficult topics yeah. I think it was designed oh. to close down but they hadn't met me I love doing things like that no 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 you, you, I know, we, we had a secret weapon we had someone who types and talks for Scotland so we had someone able to meet that's the challenge that's but, my realisation it's like Sudoku but with words <laughs> But what I've noticed is a lot of these answers just then, when we resubmitted them, were never published. Exactly. We have all the accounts. No, no, but do you, do you know what I mean? When you're, you're, you're talking, you know, that the, there must be clarity and such. It, there, there was an argument that the questions, because I think, I think certain groups had went in with a sort of mindset that Ash Regan's a terrible bigot and we must take her down. And then when the answers, the considered answers were sent out, and obviously that was not true, there was a whole... Oh well, what do we do now? Because yep. these are probably better answers than we thought. Yeah, and I think it's really kind of interesting that um, when they answer that, you know, when they, they ask you these questions, choose kind of trip you up. It kind of plays into what we were both, and I noticed you used it in one of your blogs, and I'd already used it in mine. It, it felt a bit like SNP Squid Games. <laughs> Like <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to like eliminate people in the race, um, so feel like that, yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting way to pick a, a leader, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you in, in your own party, if not in opposition, you would be setting an environment to succeed, to drive, to germinate ideas, to support. You'd think so. Maybe not. I think there's a missed up. I think there's a missed opportunity here because if Hamza's not going to attend the OUB rally and he's certainly not got, you know, an, a pro-independence event, is it a good look for the first activist of the country, as he calls himself, son of the party, toddler in the corner, whatever he's claimed to be this week? Yeah. It, is, is it a good sign that the first thing he does is way down to, you know, bend his mm -hmm. knee and shake the hand of the, the, the king that nobody voted for? You know, it comes back to honesty in politics, and this is a, I think this is where the electorate are a lot more switched on than politicians give them credit for, to the extent that, you know, the, the sound bites, the messages, the PR, the spin, the campaign and stuff, people, you know, particularly when things are really tough, and they are really tough for a lot of people, they are looking and holding on to that promise, and then they are seeing them immediately, the minute they get elected, it's like, what promise? And, and we, we talked a few of the things that we thought, oh, if we were advising that campaign, we would be really quite careful with some of this because it was evident that there would be a lot of pressure. Now, if you've got a candidate that's, you know, put themselves as a continuity candidate, Nicola Sturgeon absolutely would have gone to these things. She always did. You know, she seemed to really enjoy mm -hmm. them. Um, and she was at the, um, you know, the Queen's funeral. who was, you know, a lot of the, the Queen's Jubilee thing. Um, you know, the, the kind of party thing in the, in the summer and everything. So Ash Reagan, who was our candidate on the campaign, was a completely different kettle of fish. She's a completely different personality. And she was 100%, you know, like your kind of, well, what I always say about Mary Lou McDonald, no deference. You know, it's like no deference. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's to do the job, this is a job. Independence is the goal. Stable government, here's how we're going to do it. You know, hand over to the Yes Movement. 
competency in government, etc. But very much so that, you know, I'm not here to be a servant of the British state. I am here to represent the people of Scotland and a party that's constitutionally got the raising debtor of independence. So, of course, mm-hmm. I will be at the UOB march. I will be there collegiately with other people that are there. I don't pick the speakers. You know, I don't pick the audience. You know, you know build it and they will come. You know, you you have got an event set up, facilitated, people will come along. And I think, to be honest, that is why it kind of resonated with us, because that's very much our kind of methodology is, you know, the wider doors, and, you know, work with the electorate you've got in front of you. And if you can't build those convincing arguments, then that's on you. That's not on the audience. That's not on them. That's on you. And that's what we all have to do, I think, is, you know, in Scotland, start talking to each other again. Do you remember that, I mean, we're probably dropping a campaign secret here and I'm sure it's going to come out in a future piece of writing that we're going to put out, but I remember we were originally looking for a position around this and we were talking about the monarchy and we were talking about where did Ash see it and where did, because party policy for the SNP is that they support, you know, a continued royal family in independent Scotland and obviously we were talking about how Alba were anti, you know, monarchy and I can't remember, Kirk Torrance had a there was like a third option. I can't remember quite what it was now. But anyway, I remember that Ash got the question before we had kind of, as a team, formalised anything. Yeah. She was like, oh, no, I'm a Republican. This is all nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's a personal thing. Say, yeah. yeah, I must say, she's she's a Republican in the, 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 the sense of monarchies, not the not the US Republican. Um, <laughs> but we, we, we went on and I remember her saying, I was like, so are you go to the coronation? Like, is that is that where you would like to be? Do you think this is a good idea? How's your relationship going to be? She was like, well, I've not been invited, but I have been invited to March. So I'm going to the March and I'll have to politely decline. And we had a joke. Yeah. And I remember I particularly wanted to move it to the press line, but I think there was a bit of pushback. I think you supported me, actually, in okay. saying that we, we should send Nicola Sturgeon to these events because she seems to enjoy them too much. So she could be a great representative of this sort of thing. And, and I said she's not the Privy Council and she's probably already bought a hat. Exactly. So sorry, she, she probably got the hat for it. The other thing I remember, we got a good uh, laugh because we were talking about, um, you know, Nicholas Sturgeon and that going down to that. And I, I, I still remember that Ash came out, and here's here's a great one if the journalists are paying attention. Ash was like, "There's only really one event I want to go uh, down in London, and that's um, Andy Murray's playing in Wimbledon. Surely, exactly. if I get she was very much. If I get a ticket to that, I'll not decline. But you know, coronation can wait. <laughs> I thought that was quite good. That was very. It was good. very that good. Was very good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Andy's doing really well again. Um, there's a rumor just now online, but I don't know if it's true or not. But I presume it is actually. Um, Alex Salmon's also going to go down. Um, yeah, and be part of the coronation, which. Again, his party is the statement of no monarchies, and now we've got the help of party leader going down. I mean, yeah. what is it about the royals that seem to be attracting these otherwise presumably sane politicians to thinking that that is... I mean, we're going to be talking about a man in a gold carriage getting whisked about London in a very expensive ceremony and very expensive halls and robes, and, you know, I'm going to have him... He has to sit down, he has to go through his, you know... 
In goes the gold carriage, in goes the very expensive sort of decor and the flowers and all that pageantry. Then he goes in and they, they, they get a wet sheet and throw it over his head so he can speak to God for 60 seconds. And then that's his appointment as the chief of the Church of England. And then then they hit him with a, a stick made of gold and diamonds and sapphires and all that nonsense. And then he ascends and he... You know, gets back in his gold carriage and gets paraded around in a cost of living crisis. But the average energy bill is three hundred per, you know, three hundred percent of what it was last year. Does this not seem a bit daft? So, what we're saying for about politics and politicians and the honesty question again, when the Queen died, one of the kind of first things he said about his coronation was, was it would be very pared back. It would be very kind of. You know, low key and what have you, and that has just utterly gone out the window. And now it's like you know the pageantry, the ceremony. You know, it's it's like a huge event again during a cost of living crisis. And the irony is, you know, for those of us, you know, who maybe are too young to remember it firsthand. And well, I want to say I was kind of young, but I have been watching The Crown <laughs> to remind myself. And not yeah. black and white TV at the time. Well, no, it's black and white TV. Or my kids would say with the dinosaurs still about. But um, so Charles, at one point, when the whole affair with Camilla, you know, the whole thing with like Diana and you know the Martin Bashir yeah. interview and the David Dimbleby interview and or Richard Dimbleby interview rather, and it all kind of was very controversial. And at one point, it looked very much as if he was not going to be accepted as the king. Mm-hmm. And you know, like time goes on, and you know, from what seemed you know unthinkable, like back in the the eighties, kind nineties. Of um, Camilla Parker Bowles is now going to be the Queen. And that again yeah, just happened as a slow burn. That, you know, first of all, they were together and, you know, and I believe she had very good PR. So it shows you how PR can kind of change perception with the public on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was, they eventually got, they got married um, at Windsor, that was kind of fairly low key for a royal wedding. And then, you know, it was supposed to be the Queen Consort. And then now it's actually, she's, she's actually going to be Queen Camilla, which is interesting. So it just shows you that the rules of the, the land that we're supposed to be following, we've got to do this, it's all the historic precedents and all this, you know, and we've got our unwritten constitution, it's all by precedent. But yeah, they seem to change the rules when it suits them. Like they changed the, the rules of succession to let, if, if uh, William and Catherine's you know, oldest had been a girl, she would have been next in succession. As it goes, Char- Princess Charlotte is actually, you know, higher than her younger brother, Louis. Whereas when mm-hmm. Princess Anne, who a lot of people think is actually probably the most, you know, hard-working royal, Stable. she's <laughs> really down the, the kind of background. Her kids are actually not princes and princesses. They don't, they're not on civil list or anything as well. So everybody, you know, it kind of comes back to the whole hypocrisy of the rules and, you know, the rules that kind of bind society and the kind of the values and... Who follows rules and who's above rules? And I think there's something we were going to come on and talk about about the whole thing about without fear or favour. You know, like rules mm-hmm. should be consistent and rules should be followed consistently. They should be followed without fear or favour. In other news, it's going to be quite exciting to see that um, Prince Andrew has decided he's coming on TV again to set the world straight again. That <laughs> should be some joyous television there. It it's is- a time to think about his answers and come back. <laughs> But again, it comes back to the whole thing that, you know, you used to laugh about the, particularly the Tory politicians, you call it the revolving door. So they would leave Mm -hmm. under a cloud of scandal. And then, you know, after so long, 
back they are again and they're in cabinet. I mean, Pretty Patel got to be one of the top, you know, political roles in the UK as Home Secretary after she literally got sacked for talking to a foreign government when she was in the foreign You're like, you know, really? Um, so, the, I mean, where's our vetting process? We, we also need to, just, just for a minute, just for a minute, just indulge me because I know what's coming up later on in the programme. We've also got a situation where Boris Johnson held a party in Downing Street during the lockdowns and COVID, during the time that the Queen was attending the funeral of her um, late husband. The Queen was sat there, and it was world news that she was sat alone um, at the end of Pew, you know, all in black by herself. Yeah. You know, and we watched that, and Boris Johnson, maybe not that exact day, but at that roundabout time, Boris Johnson was having parties in Downing Street and wine parties and cheese. It was that exact day. It actually it was. was it? Yeah, yeah, one of them was. So, so you've got you've got the situation. He's running about doing that now. Personally, I know we would disagree on this all day. I thought lockdown was a total waste of everybody's time anyway. So, I mean, to me, it's let's move. You know, he broke he blo- broke the law, and he should be punished for doing so. But at the same time, I always thought it was a bit of stupid law anyway. And stupid laws basically the, always the struggle. Problem, but the problem was the health service and overwhelming. Yeah, which was the biggest risk, to be honest. But that that comes out. I mean, in the time lockdown, you know, there's a there's it could a have been done a lot differently, for sure. If and the health again, was at full well, power. if if they'd actually got medics a lot of the time to make these decisions, because I've got friends who are medics who were saying at the time we were all kind of agreeing the parallel stream would have been the way to run the health service. That you know, and you know, I'm a great fan of Harry Burns, and I always thought as the CMO. You know, Harry running like you know the the kind of response and letting the the other CMO, which was well, uh, Gregor in the end, run the health service. So that you know we're in Italy who were hit very badly, North Italy, which have got an exceptionally good health service, and were massively hit and lost a lot of medics like in the early stages of COVID, um, because of the you know continual you know exposure exposure to COVID and. Um, but they very quickly learned by the time it got to the South Italy, which has got less of a you know robust health mm-hmm. service, they responded with clean and dirty hospitals. And a friend of mine was working in a kind of clean hospital in Glasgow, and yet they were able to do things like stents and you know different things, different procedures. She's an anaesthetist, and um, she um, said that they were not getting patients from Greater Glasgow Clyde, and a lot of that was kind of political, where they were getting people from yeah, other we, countries. We built. We built Louisa Jordan at the the hydro, and we we spent forty three million on that. And famously, Nicola Sturgeon went out and says, "Oh, it's great. We've never had to use it." And I, you know, but I think that, yeah, the, that could have been used for the preventative stuff. So people who were because yeah, my friend yeah. was saying, if you get stage three bowel cancer as opposed to getting early, like you know, bowel mm-hmm. cancer, a huge difference, and not just you know your okay. own outcomes but also from the health service outcomes the amount of in- intensive you know the treatment it prevention is better and cure and early early identification early um you know yeah. treatment is better not, than, than late stage treatment i'm not convinced the argument that we saved that we spent 43 million and never done anything where it was particularly as strong as nicholas sturgeon possibly felt it came across but my point, thing my point is so boris johnson Potential criminality. In fact, there was criminality within yeah. Downing Street because they got their fixed penalty notices. Um, and then we've got the, you know, there's been the investigation into the ring EMPs that were um, in the sex scandals. Mm-hmm. We also had the ongoing 
Um, we've had the ongoing sort of business connections through a lot of ministers, the sort of pay for access yep. scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've had all that. So these are genuine frauds that are going on. Um, that We're very lucky that Channel 4 and, and, and dispatches and such are all getting in there and kind of pulling the pulling the rubbish out. But, I mean, it shouldn't be up to the media. The media should not be the sole contributor to this. It does seem... It, it, it reminds me as a bit odd that in the UK, an awful lot of political scandal comes out because the media took an interest rather than the police yeah. or the security services or, you know, the people who are actually paid to keep an eye on this actually seem oblivious to it until the BBC run it on TV and they think, God, we better go and do something about that. Yeah, you know? or or actually even better, the organisations themselves through their own governance system. And I think that's yeah, something sure. that, you know, they don't seem to be making more robust. They always say, oh, after the fact, oh, we'll do this and we'll do that. And and yet, it's almost like we we just say that to kind of get the cameras gone and the press away and then mm-hmm. revert to it. And if you don't make it easier to do the right thing and harder to do the wrong thing, then people will inevitably, you know, some people do will the do the wrong thing. So, we, I mean, I just want to plant that seed just now that, you know, we've got, we've got um, scandal in the royal family, we've got scandal, mm-hmm. we've got um, scandal in Downing Street, and we've got scandal kicking off all over Westminster, as it's always been. It's never particularly been a place um, that's allergic to scandal. However, we'll roll on. We'll roll on. (laughs) We'll roll on just now. Um, So we've covered OEUB and we've covered, obviously, um, one of the big things we should cover just now, which is not riddled in scandal. Something that is the opposite and the antithesis of it is our open and transparent Ash Regan campaign diaries, which is probably the first time in Scotland that anybody's published an internal campaign, introspective, retrospective, um, on what happened. So, Alison, what's been the big hitter so far for us on the campaign diaries? I think just the, the general process of it, I think, has been really interesting. I mean, I know you and I both are very big proponents of doing retrospectives to see what worked, what mm-hmm. didn't work, you know, what we could have done. And I think doing it in this way has been really um, enlightening because there was things that, at the time, and I think there's a theme throughout of it, one of your ones is pretty much like getting strapped into a roller coaster, which it did kind of feel yeah. like at the end. It was very, very fast-paced. So there was a lot of stuff you were you were having to, you were very time-bound in responding to, um, and it it went very quickly. And there, there was times that we thought, particularly the team, when we actually all met, the first time we all actually met, and that was one of the big things, and you did this one on the launch day on Friday. In fact, that's the last one that's up view from the bridge, because I've still got through the weekend, um, which was the northeast trip. Um, so that was very cool, to kind of like get everybody together in one room, and it reminds me very much if you'd had a longer campaign time, what you really would have done is what I would do in any project um, that bring the team together and, you know, like out your, your, you know, your big statement of intent, you know, your North star, what we're aiming for and how everything else, how that breaks down underneath that and, you know, what skills we've got and who's doing what and what do we need and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then you go and, you know, break bread, you go out for, for food, you go and, you know, have a social interaction because the network is so critical to anything that you do. If you build a strong network foundation and you've got good relationships and you know how to communicate with each other, it saves a huge amount of um, stress and problems in the long term. So that was, that was really interesting for me. A weekend, pretty much, almost a weekend, um, we actually all met in the same room, which was, was good. Yeah. And then I think things... 
did kind of work, you know. And it was a little bit of a roller coaster. I'm not going to lie. There was there was downs as well as ups, but that's to be expected, you know. But I think one of the key things for us is transparency is so critical, and we keep coming back to this: but honesty in politics and honesty in public life and building trust because people, you know, are looking for something to hold on to that feels secure. And um, it's not that they want to be, you know, predictable and boring, you know, variety and spice life and all that, but. But you do need a solid foundation to feel that, you know, you've got some sense of where things are going and what the rules that we're all following are. And when that seems to get thrown constantly up in the air, it's really unbalancing for people. Um, so the, the the spirit of transparency is the reason that we've done this, because we felt very much as this whole campaign was about bringing, I think the action plan was about, you know, transparency and, you know, uh, accountability and really you know good governance you know is one of the things she said like if there are problems there are our problems as a, as a party we will fix them as a party but to do that first of all you need you need an honest look you need an honest assessment of where we're at what's working what's not working you know where we need work where there's gaps where there's confusion or whatever and, and bring clarity to that so we thought you know the campaign at the end of the campaign honestly obviously we were not successful in getting Ash elected. It was it was a big ask. It was um a very short campaign for a candidate who was felt relatively unknown at the beginning. And I think Ash mm -hmm. did a huge amount um for her own um you know credibility in building, you know, who she was and I think had she been given more time um to do that and to really explore the ideas and the policies where she was really really setting the setting the milestones there for others to catch up. Um, I think that would have been a potentially different outcome. So I think from that point of view, we took that on board at the end of the campaign and thought, let's demonstrate this. You know, let's actually show what this looks like rather than it just being words on a page that people go, oh, yeah, my, yeah, yeah, you say that, talk the talk and all that. So we thought, oh, well, let's look, walk the walk. Let's like, give an honest look. Um, and I think it feels a bit frightening for people to be very honest and very transparent. But it's like, you know, what does it say? The, the the truth will set you free, and look for Scotland. Maybe that's where Scotland need to be now. Maybe Scotland need to be at that stage that you think we can't keep going on like this. You know, we can't go, we can't rumble from scandal to scandal to you know politicians promising and letting people down and just one more mandate, one more corner, etc. If we're going to do this, we actually. Let's let's do politics truly differently and stop talking about just doing it differently. That that's one of the big you know, one of the big fears I think when we talk about transparency and openness and when we talk about retrospectives, people mm -hmm. get very scared of this. So yeah, yeah. this was something we ex we experienced this previously, like mm -hmm. we a couple of years ago. This was experienced in Alba Party. So there was mm -hmm. a there was a survey done for the election, mm -hmm. and one of the one of the key pieces of information in that survey was that on the doorstep, people were like, you know, I support, you know, from pro-independence supporters was very much, you know, I like the idea of this party, I understand the supermajority, I understand all that, makes sense, but I don't like the Alex Salmon character, he's a bit shady for me. And that, you know, that got fed back, that came in from numerous sources, qualitative and quantitative, there was, there was data there that said that Alex Salmon was causing a lot of people to think no. Um... And we pushed a little bit on that and we dug a little bit into it, which we found that they didn't necessarily want Alex Salmond out the Alba party or non-influential. They just didn't think he should be the party leader or a candidate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because a lot of people didn't really want 
a Nicola Sturgeon, Alex Salmon slugfest going on in Hollywood. I don't think that was seen as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, we ended up. This came out in a survey and got published, um, but then was immediately only internally. Yeah, internally it was published, but immediately they demanded it came down yeah. because God, you know what? If the press find this, and it's another theme that you find in the SNP as well, is they say let's not talk about what's went wrong. Yeah, and it's in the media today. We've got, you know, we've got in the media today um, a quote from Nicola Sturgeon. There's a leaked recording that's in the Daily Record, and it was from a NEC meeting where she says, "Let's not talk about the finances because it drags the party into disrepute." Now, there, there's a whole section here, but I want to take the general top line idea on this: is where if we don't, the idea that if you don't talk about it, it won't come out is nonsense. So mm-hmm. once you establish that secrets generally in political parties don't get held for very long, you move on to, well, do you want the media to break this story, A? And yeah. two, do you want your, or B, do you want your political opponents to run this story? So you, you can pick who runs the story. You can pick either A, the media are going to run it, B, your political opponents are going to run it, or C, you can actually run it yourself. You can control your own narrative and say, look, we have screwed up here with something, and this is what we're going to do. And if we make it about something simple, let's make it about something really simple. Let's make it about, you know, the leaflet that we put out was dreadful. It didn't connect. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is if you bring that up internally yourself and you say, look, I'm an activist and I wasn't really warmed up by whatever this was meant to be. It didn't give me anything that I personally wanted to get out of bed and fight for or go and vote for. Or, you know, as an activist, I wasn't warmed up about it. Why would the general public be warmed up about it? And that, to say that is sometimes like absolute sacrilege. People get very upset. Like, oh, don't say that. The unionists will pounce on it. The opponents will pounce on it. People will pounce on it. But... The odd thing is, if you expose your own weakness and you talk about your weaknesses, if you talk about your lowest common denominators, if you talk about the things that are puncturing your little boat, the interesting thing is you fix them faster, you're in there quicker, you you hold with pride your mistakes as experience. Because, I mean, one of my favourite quotes is Randy Pausch on the last lecture. He says, yeah. experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. And, you know, I think that is true. That political parties, especially especially if they're saying they're going to be open, transparent and going to run the government, you need to be in the situation that when you make a mistake, you publicly announce your mistake, you own your mistake, you puff it out there. And it can be as simple as that leaflet was crap or generating a new leaflet. And why they try and spend all this time keeping things secret, why we spend all this money as well on like layers of... Keeping the public out of conferences and stuff. Shove the bloody thing up on YouTube and let people see what's actually being debated. Because the truth is, and it goes for independence, internationally, people in other countries, other nations are looking like, is Scotland becoming a democratically independent nation and where is it on that, that you know, that progress? Mm-hmm. They should see party conference. They should see... Yeah the discussions that people are having, they should see the mistakes that are being made so they can be like, ah, they're very close. Actually, they've made a wee bit of faux pas there, but that, that's easily rectifiable. And you often find that, you know, someone, it's often said that the quickest way to get the right answer on the internet is to post the wrong answer and someone will come and correct you. That's right, exactly. So, you know, there's, there's an argument that I don't understand... Why so much energy? Me and you don't have this. This is something we like being wrong. Like, we want someone to tell us our blog is wrong. We want them to tell us Viva Cost has totally lost the plot. Because 
I promise you, the next email we send you, the next message you get off us is, come on and tell us why we're wrong. Come and write about it. Come and show us the way. I mean, life's a learning experience, but you're right, mistakes are the pay dirt for your next venture. You know, that's where you learn. If you just, you know, slap each other in the back and tell each other how great you've done, then, you know, what have you, you you've not progressed. You're, you're just going to be the same the next time. But if you look and say, well, could we have done, I mean, I have to say, I've seen this in business as well, although less so because there's a, a much more commercial imperative to actually make incremental, you know, you know, improvements to things. And you see the organisations that are very successful, who are the ones, or even like, you know, big organisations like British Cycling. One of the things that they did is they took every single component part of cycling and broke it down into each component part, whether it was, you know, the, the bike design, the, you know, the, the helmet, the, 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 the kit that people wore, like the... Which call it like the, you know, mm-hmm. cycling chirps and all that kind of stuff. The um, the shoes, the cleats, the um, the psychology, the nutrition, all these things, and they made just incremental changes and changed one thing so that they could actually see what is giving us the biggest payback on return. So a lot of organisations do that, and, and I have to say, at, at the one point, sometimes people go, they get quite emotionally attached to what that was my idea. How dare you say my idea was rubbish? And it's not saying your idea is rubbish. It's saying, like, this is how this landed. Is it something that we throw away or is it something we work out? Where did it actually go wrong? And I think doing, like, you know, yeah. analytical troubleshooting for so long, it just seems like the obvious thing to do. It's how you actually solve problems. It's also how you exploit opportunities. Because if you identify, you know, the potential opportunity analysis as well as, you know, like potential problem analysis um, or or realised problem analysis... And and for us, it just seems like the kind of very obvious thing to do. And I have to say that short 38 days, I think, the campaign from, from start to finish for us was a huge learning, I mean, a huge learning curve, a huge learning opportunity. Loads of things that you didn't have time to really think very long about. It made you a lot sharper about, you know, how to quickly you had to turn things around and you didn't have time to fluff about. And it just shows you now that I don't have that time on me. We're doing our blog. I'm now like, I yelled earlier. <laughs> so I really do need to get it out. To be fair, I'm not really procrastinating. I've just been doing other things, like, you know, with Nat 5s coming up for my, my son, etc. But um, kind of cracking the whip, making sure he's like, studying. But, and, and, and paid work <laughs> as well to do. So, because um, it, it was a big commitment over, over the time that we were doing it. And we were all doing it in our spare time. We were all doing it, you know, and I don't think people realise that not only was it a small team, but it wasn't a full-time team. It was people who like had their own jobs, yeah, their own yeah. other commitments, and um, were doing things at lunch times and the more early morning calls, late night calls into quite late at night. I mean, there was not a lot of sleep had, I think, over the, the time for all of us, which no, was massively on adrenaline a lot of the time, and chocolate milkshakes and a lot of coffee, <laughs> to say. There's a theme that will come out in the later blogs of like where we went after hustings and stuff, like for food and... Yeah, and I think we get to that very soon. We do, yeah. One of the one of one of the key things though, one of the key things there, and just to summarise one of the points you made there is sometimes your you know your weaknesses or the opportunities that you expose are your strength, and that the the, the SMP action plan to cycle back to the start of this topic was our you know it was our positive thing that came out of the opportunities. It was listening to the members, specifically in the northeast at the time, but certainly members' gripes that we were reading on social media, members that we were talking to. And meetings, they were like, well, yeah, a lot of the emails we yeah, got. Yeah. 
And it was a case of taking that information and saying, well, here's all the weaknesses. How do we turn this into strength? Well, the strength for our campaign was we'll take all these weaknesses and we'll come up with an action plan on how to resolve them. And do you know what? It's quite easy. Like, once, once you admit there's a problem, getting around fixing it is very easy. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, there's a lot of, kind of standard ways you do this and it's not rocket science, as they say. Um, you know, yeah. transparency, if you've got a perception, like, like the one you mentioned earlier on about ALBA, um, regardless of whether you agree with that perception, it is still a perception and you have to deal with mm. the perception. So if you want to turn that around, that's something that you say, well, I actually need to do a bit of work there. Why is that perception there? How do we turn that around? Because if you still think that, you know, that person is the right person to lead the party, then there needs to be a bit of a kind of campaign to understand where the issues are, how you turn that around and how you how you then change that that perception kind of going forward. Yeah. Or you, or you decide actually this is too big a risk for the party as a whole. We actually have to do something, something else. So, ignoring it's not really helping. You, you know, there, there's ways to manage that. You can certainly, for example, well examined. You could have easily moved them on to be the, you know, the president or the honorary president of the party, where, you know, he was a strong voice of experience, but yeah. for a new leader to really get their teeth sunk yeah, into the main issue. I think sometimes people don't realise that not being in the perceived top position isn't always necessarily the most powerful position. It's about something that Ash talked about in the campaign, having the right people in the right roles. Now, the right people in the right roles does not always necessarily mean that, you know, it's you get promoted up to the top level. I think some of the kind of more advanced organisations, like when I worked for some of my systems, they're a very good they're a very technical company. So a, man, a people manager role wasn't higher than a technical role um, because you yeah. know people understood the value in different skill sets and your best technical person was unlikely to, to be the best people person just from you know, your kind of personality traits, etc. So I think that's something we need to look at more and say, well, actually, could you actually have more power? I mean, particularly, you know, saying the example of Alec. If Alec was a president, would that have freed him up to actually be able to do a lot more things? And interestingly the SNP campaign we very much noticed he got a lot more media attention during that than he did in any election campaign um that mm-hmm. Alba fought so it does make you think you know and, and we did think at the time from a strategy point of view that that would be a much more powerful position and we we actually thought right, beyond some transparent we thought that strategically just taking you know people are emotionally attached to individuals and names etc so in decision analysis, you take all that away and you look at it very objectively. So if it was like A, B and C, like, you know, who un- underneath A, B and C was Alec, Neil, Hanby and, and Kenny McCaskill. If you actually listed all the kind of things and the opportunities, probably Kenny McCaskill would be the leader because he had the big platform yeah. in Westminster plus the most experienced. And he'd been a Hollywood MSP as well. He'd been the Justice Minister for seven years. So he had um, a lot of the, the kind of gravitas connections, etc., and, you know, probably, I would imagine Kenny's not going to be in politics, like, you know, forever. You know, that people have no. got, I mean, he's very kind of accomplished writer and, you know, he does a lot of other things. So I think, you know, you, know, you need to look at what skills you've got and where you best use those resources. You've and also, how you want to get you've, also, as well. you've also kind of hit another nail on the head there. It's, you know, it's maybe not unique in Scottish politics. It's, oh. It is certainly recurrent in politics, but... The US have a very nice thing. It's the, the, the you know, the, the term limit thing that you can only be president for eight years. Yeah. And I, I think eight years are probably still a bit long, but well, term limits are really interesting because 
This is what happens. You end up with the same old crusty people forever hanging about because there's no legal end to them. They just get to keep perpetually repeating themselves on you and it doesn't allow you to get fresher people. But the interesting thing is, one of the nice things about the US election, if you could say there's a nice thing about a US election, is that actually every US presidential that goes to a primary has a lot of diverse talent in the primary mm. where lots of new people step forward and test their platforms. And yep. I think that there's something to be said that we should not... I mean, a lot of people, the media, I mean, God, the media came for Ash Regan like, oh, you're a pretend candidate, you yep. drop out and make it a one-on-one. But the interesting thing is, why would we not celebrate a more diverse panel? Why would we not want a greater exactly. choice? I mean, it was an STV election. There was no way to lose. Exactly. Um, I think that's an excellent point. And it's one of the reasons we were, you know, when we got the the kind of initial call that we were so happy to, to assist. Because it was one of the things we'd set up when we started looking at our Thistle campaign tools on Vivacost and other things that we were working on was how do we remove barriers from independence supporting people, individuals, collectively, you know, campaigning and doing things. So, you know, when we were working on these tools and these kind of ideas from our kind of collective if you like, and then that opportunity arose to actually be involved in a, in a leadership election, then yeah. we, we could have jumped at it because we thought the most important thing, you know, almost as important as the result was the process and the fact there was a contest. Yeah. And that was overwhelmingly what we heard from members, overwhelmingly, that this was a good thing. Democracy was a good thing. The succession thing, you know, you know, it was it was literally, you know, Alex Salmon to Nicola Sturgeon. There was no other contenders that is actually, it might feel, at the time, short term, it might feel safe, a safe transition of power. And it's a bit like you've mm-hmm. talked before about the monarchy. That's why they do the whole thing very quickly. That's why Charles was, you know, ordained as the, or whatever they call it, <laughs> as you can tell I'm not a monarchist, um, you know, to to succeed the, the throne before anybody, you know, upstarts over the, you know, the centuries could kind of like, usurp his, you know, you know, chance to be king, what have you. Yeah, it's so, I mean, it, literally, so, as the Queen has her last beat of the yeah, heart, the king's yeah, next but, one that makes him king. But by definition, a monarchy is not democratic, whereas politically, mm-hmm. we live in a democratic country. So why should our political democracy be a succession? Of course, it should be a contest. And you're right. You know, I think what's really good is in American um, politics, the primaries do. I mean, some you get some right wallopers as well, but it's entertaining. And and even even the wallopers, you know, sometimes come out with things. You go, oh, you nugget there. It's like it's not a bad idea. So it, it adds to the conversation. It adds to the debate. It, it's it breathes some air into politics. And although there's other obviously issues in America, like you know, you really need to pretty much be a billionaire to be to be in politics. Yeah, like, it's like, even name it doesn't get you anywhere. No, exactly. Well, they, a lot of like Ross Perot, etc., have all tried over the years. Although Donald Trump bizarrely succeeded, but um, you know, so there's a lot of things I think to be learned from kind of democracy across the world and how we do things. But I think fundamentally, people liked the fact there was a contest. I think had the SNP not been so keen to keep control, then they would have actually been more empowered. And I think a longer when I say a longer contest, the standard contest that we. We noticed the media had picked up at exactly yeah. our timetable that we put on Viva Cross, another first, um, on the 77 days and how that broke down. Because that was what we first talked about when Nicola Sturgeon resigned. And we looked at that and thought, OK, this is interesting. This is where it's going to take us pretty much to summer recess. 
Um, that's yeah. really interesting, particularly there was an, a referendum promise for October 19th. How's that going to work? Yeah. So, um, so that was all very um, interesting at the time. But I think had we had a longer contest, potentially more people would have come forward. And I think, you know, folk realising, which we did very quickly, that this was going to be really intensive, especially when the crazy hustings schedule came out on top of all the media, um, you know, debates and everything as well. It was... It, was it, would, have been a, it would have been a bad schedule if there had been more time in the schedule to actually exactly. complete it. it yeah. You know, doing, doing one a night was certainly a, a, a negative way to do it. But, I mean, I get that's what it is when you, you're going to try and replace, you know, you're trying to get continuity and you're trying to get exactly what you already had. Yeah, um, you made a really good when, point. Yeah, you made a really good point during the campaign that was that there was an expectation when we did the press launch on the Friday at um you know double T's um at the at Queensbury. No, Queensbury. The press thought that was a professional operation. They didn't know it was like, yeah. you know, a bunch of, you know, volunteers working kind of part time trying to pull things together. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it it did come across like very polished, but there was there's then an expectation that you have literally got a policy team like the civil service behind you, like you would have mm. you were the first minister, and what's your policy that and that? Policy? You're thinking that that's basically like telling some of the media people, okay, can you give me an in depth documentary on this really complex subject, and they'll have it by four o'clock. Um, and it is it's we, a very we, did, we, did, we had like we had farmers weekly or tractors we monthly or civil, whatever it was. Civil engineers wanted us to make a lot of kind of comments on. Um, positions on different things I mean it, it was you know, we'll probably unpick more of that as we go along with the diaries some of the you know without you know naming people we'll keep it kind of vague but just just the kind of content and the type of information where we get one of the things that I thought was really bizarre just to throw in you mentioned earlier about some of these groups that we were getting asked questions after what comes as campaign had already put their answers out and then we got an email some of these were pages long and I mean pages and pages long and these were groups yeah. that had the word independence in their name and not one question about independence. Not one. Yeah, it was... Which was really interesting. Right, finally, finally, one one final topic. And this this, this one's a difficult topic for you, um, as I understand it. So I don't think you'll be saying too much, but I'm sure, I'm sure you'll tell me where we hit <laughs> your limit. <laughs> um, so... The the SNP has not had a very, in fact, Hamza Yusuf has had a dreadful first two weeks yeah. as first minister. Um, not only have the SNP gone down in the opinion polls, with some showing them as barely ahead of Labour, um, we have seen that Alba will be getting its first seats in the Scottish Parliament. We have also encountered the problem where the police have raided the SNP HQ. They've raided Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Murrell's home in Glasgow. And lastly, um, they have taken a, they've taken a motorhome caravan thing from Peter Murrell's parents' house. So there's a lot that's happened that's kind of, you know, one of the things that's been striking is certainly the scale. I mean, th th this had the scale of like a season finale, the old police procedural the bill. Or like CSI Glasgow's opening number, like this was you know thirty police officers at a, <laughs> a three bedroom house in Glasgow with a great big 
police Scotland cordon, it had massive marquees, it had tents in the back garden. At one point there was a helicopter above, although I think that was probably the journalist rather than the police. Yeah. Um, but it was a spectacular sight. It was a it was a sight that you would not expect. Um, or perhaps you would expect, but it's not one that would be certainly common in the the south side of Glasgow um, for East End of Glasgow. The East End of Glasgow. She's not Glasgow South Side. That's not where she lives. I'm ah, from right, East End, so I know yeah. where it is. I wouldn't say ah, where it is. But Anyway, well, but you know, you're, you're talking about this happening in Glasgow, the three bedroom house, massive police presence and everything like that. And it just, it was a spectacle. It was a spectacle. And the question comes in, you know, certainly the Alba Party have had their share of troubles and Alex Salmond has had his share of troubles. And I should, I should mm -hmm. put out there that even though there was an awful lot of large, um, there was a lot of media interest and a lot of police in there, Alex Salmond was totally acquitted and returned a free man to the world. Um, and there's nothing to suggest that, that wouldn't be the case again here. But it was certainly, you know, Alex Salmond has gone through that process. The Alba Party hasn't quite shaken that. The SNP is now going through an awful process where it looks like that there's police and there's legal matters and everything's spiralling out of control there. Does this, I mean, we, we know that the independence polling looks good. Does this mean we need a new party? Does this mean what? What does this mean? What's the what's the output here, and what what does it? Where do people go? I think you know. Again, back to the old democracy, Democratos. You know, the power of the people. If the people are speaking and saying something, and the politicians are not delivering on that, or or letting them down, letting the side down, if you like, then I think it is time to reflect. It's time for all politicians to reflect. You know, one of the things we've said before about, you know, we, you know, back to the conversation earlier but, um, about Alba, you know, we, we've often said, can can old faces make new cases? You know, as, as the world has moved on in nearly 10 years since the last independence referendum, there's been a lot of, we've lost a lot of people. Um, I mean, we actually have lost a lot of exceptionally good, you know, committed activists over the years, which is heartbreaking. But we've also lost people who don't have the ability now, um, physical ability, or you know they just don't have the the, the energy or the the yeah. you know their, their circumstances have changed. And you know it really bothers me when people say, "Oh, it's inevitable. It'll be the younger generation." Nothing in life's inevitable. You have to make it happen, and that's why mm. um, change comes from action. Change doesn't come from inaction. Change comes, you know, as scary as it might be. Um, and I remember talking about Oliver and Banner earlier when Amanda uh, Bagara and I both spoke at the Oliver and Banner march in Bannerburn. One of the things that I'd said in speeches that change is happening anyway. You, it's really just a question mm -hmm. of are you in the front seat or are you in the back seat? Videos on YouTube viewers. Exactly. So I didn't actually say that, but it, <laughs> it was something to that effect. But you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. The idea of like you know, change is happening. It's inevitable, and you have to really decide whether you're going to be consumers of that change or you're going to be you know active in that change. And I think that is what we all need to look at now, and including people who don't support independence, who are not you know, natural independence um, supporters. But you know, change is happening to Scotland, and devolution has not protected us from some of the things that have been most harmful to us as a society through Tory austerity through particularly the Labour supporting people in Scotland, um, the kind of values that they actually hold dear and that, you know, was the start of their, certainly their party originally, um, workers' rights. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, 
a lot of movement now from the unions that has come back up and haven't had a huge amount of support from the actual Labour Party, which is odd. So there's a lot of gaps. If you look at Scotland's political landscape as a football field, you know, you've got goals that are both open, you know, both are undefended goals. You've got too much, you know, people fighting in their own halves, tripping each other up, breaking each other's legs, and that's on their own side. You know, because they're all vying to be the star striker, nobody's covering some of the positions, and, and there are gaps. And I think the audience, you know, looking on, the spectators looking on, are scunnered. And they're thinking, surely there's something better than this. So I think it's a question of responsibility for all of us. It's what is what is better? What does better look like? And how do we make better actually happen? Because I, I personally am absolutely scunnered to the back teeth of promises that are unfulfilled in politics while nothing changes you know look for outcomes except in a negative way things are getting worse challenges are getting harder just another i mean Hamza used to have announced a tax change um which is going to if you don't look at outcomes and of each of those things negative as well as positive you could end up with the law of unintended consequence and a lot of like small business particularly really suffered during lockdown and are just kind of getting it back in their feet. And then you're getting the DRS scheme getting thrown at them. And then, you know, you've got Brexit, which they're trying to, you know, cope with and care homes and different places really struggling in the NHS to get workforce and to retain workforce and trained workforce. I mean, these are all jobs that need a huge amount of commitment. And, you know, to be, you know, you know, a good quality carer, which our, you know, vulnerable or elderly or vulnerable or, um, you know, you know, your struggling communities really do need. And, the, you know, there's people that cannot get and people, people want to be cared for in home and they can't get carers, particularly in rural areas. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of things that we need to, to tackle. And actually then putting a, a price hike on some people, go, oh, but that's, that's a lot of money. If you've got a mortgage, if you've committed to a mortgage and you've got that money and suddenly you get hit by more tax and you're just paying the, the, a mortgage rate that's going up because for some bizarre reason they keep putting the inflate, you know, they keep putting the interest rates up even though the inflation rate is actually coming down. Um, it's bonkers what they're doing. We should absolutely try and get Richard Murphy onto the podcast. I had just some really fascinating conversations but with the, Richard. The, um, the viewers, before, before you drag Richard Murphy in here, the, the, the viewers and the listeners would like one thing from you, but I'm... I'm smirking away at myself as I say this. By the way, I should mention, me and Alison can't see each other while we record the podcast. Yeah. So, no idea what my... Yeah, she doesn't know when I'm raising my eyebrows to her. Right. Um, our listeners and our viewers, you know, caravans have certainly become a very dangerous thing to possess in Scottish politics. First of all, we I'm have... I'm rolling my eyes, just so you know. The, the, yeah, we've got the... <laughs> this is only because Alison owns a caravan. We should look into this, by the way, folks. Not a caravan, um, a motorhome, oh, sorry, it's a posh caravan that you can drive. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't drag it, you don't drag this one, you drive it. Um, no, it certainly, as it is, never Catherine, Catherine Calderwood was uh kicked out as health chief um during Covid because yeah. we believe she was visiting her caravan in Easterly and Fife. I don't know if it was actually a caravan though, I think that might just be an ad lib that's been chucked in there. I think you've ad-libbed and that certainly, a holiday home. <laughs> 
and, and certainly there's a motorhome holiday home situation with um, the Peter Murrell situation just now. So caravans, certainly, I'm not going to own a motorhome or a caravan anytime soon, that's for sure. So the question of the day to Alison, and I already, I can promise you, Viva Cost listeners, I know that Alison's too big for this, but Alison, will you give us the inside scoop of the NEC and Financial Audit Committee? No. <laughs> <laughs> But you there know, you go. In, in a serious note, you know, in a yes. state beyond you, this is an active. So we're recording a podcast. Yeah, so it's absolutely open to um, contempt of court. So be very careful. Yeah. That's why we. That's why we've not spoken about it. In case anybody's wondering why we've done a podcast and not really crossed that. However, there is. There's two final points I'd like to make before we close, and then obviously we're just crossing the hour mark now. So, point one, the SNP have put out their membership numbers. I believe they should continue to do so, and they should stick to the, the Ash Reagan transparency plan that suggested that we keep, once the numbers are out, the bad bit's done, just keep pumping the numbers out every month, every quarter, whatever it takes. Get the finances out as well, because do you know what? You're already as low as you can be, so there's no problem with doing it now. But let's move, the, let's move it on to... The Alba Party haven't put out their membership numbers, which I do not think are that great. The Scottish Labour Party also have not great membership numbers. The Scottish Green Party, there's about five of them, not great. The Lib Dems, I don't even know if there's five of them, not great. But and all then right. you've got Plus one. you've got the Tories who probably have hundreds of members, but again, <laughs> won't be a great number. This is the time. No other party has put its numbers out there. Um, and it's a perfect time for them to do so. However, moving on from that, because I'm aware we're across the one-hour mark already, the scenes of CSI Glasgow, as I'm going to call it, um, in the police presence over the Peter Murrell case, is not a weakness in our system. In fact, it must be applauded. The the judiciary and the police um, service in this country are off the ability that they, without prejudice, can go in there and investigate the top people in this country and they can have a look in their houses and they can do... And it, and it happens in the same manner it would happen for anybody else, and I think you called it without fear or favour. And that is an important part of what makes Scotland a great country, is that its judiciary and its police service have the ability and the authority to investigate whatever the hell they like. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And that... It is all about honesty and transparency and what you said earlier is true. Sometimes watch what you wish for. I'm pushing for numbers, which Ash Regan did internally because she thought, you know, you have to um, be honest to rebuild trust, to retain trust, to rebuild trust. And I think that is a lesson for everybody in this, that, you know, honesty is genuinely the best policy. And if you want people to trust you, that's on you, not on them. So you can't say to people, you should be, trust me, I'm an expert. And it's like, you know, prove you're an expert. Stop just telling me you're an expert. So if you want to, if you want to build that perception that you are trusted, and this is why um, there was a, a, a push to ensure that, that the vote for the election, that there was no no buyer's remorse. There was, there was an opportunity that they could say that they had done absolutely everything in their power to demonstrate transparency, to demonstrate probity. And I think that's a lesson for all politicians, all political parties um, and, you know, organisations and, and, and public bodies going forward that, 
you know, if you want the public to come with you, then that's on you, you to to ensure that they have got that um, that faith that, that in your integrity and your your credibility. Well, that has been one hour and two minutes, which is just on schedule for us, the Viva Cost podcast. You've been joined by me, Graham Spence and Alison Graham. We've spoken about kings and caravans and everything in between. You can join us, um, as detailed earlier on in the show, in the show notes, you can join us at the All Under One Banner Rally and March, mm-hmm. where we will be delighted to talk to you and give our fantastic speeches that have yet to be written and in the meantime if you're bored and you want to catch up you can read the ash regan um, campaign diaries where we're currently left off where we've launched the ash regan campaign the press launch and yeah. we are going now in the next day or so you're going to be able to read from allison the story of the northeast trip which is where ash connected with members and went with joanna cherry to meet certain um, branches and certain um, members yeah. of the SNP yeah, and, and yeah. had a little look at ports and the economy up there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything else to say, Alison? Because I think I'm wrapped up now. No, just really to say um, in, in closing that I think um, you know sometimes it's sometimes kind of gossip and um, you know supposition is you know quite entertaining, but you know at the end of the day sometimes you really do need to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture and Scottish independence is not going anywhere it's a conversation that's not over and I think if we all remember whether we disagree with every single other thing that we've got that in in common and even those that don't agree with it if we can do if we can converse respectfully with each other then we'll actually all get, get there quicker to where we want to be thank you very much Alison You've been listening to the Viva Cause podcast. Goodbye and good night. Good night.